code enforcement office. You've got to deal with the folks who handle zoning requirements. You've got to meet with this council and that council, and you've got to talk with building inspectors, and you've got to submit plans and, and, and make all kind of, uh, jump through all kind of hoops before you ever can start on your project. And one of the earliest victories, and maybe one of the greatest victories you're going to ever get in the building process after you have been through this, this thing, you, you just think, I'm not asking to build a nuclear reactor out here. I'm just asking to build a, a, a little ranch house, you know, on my plot of ground. But when you finally get to that day, it is a victory when you get the notice that says, your building permit has been issued. Dr. John received that notice just this week. That's a pretty good day, isn't it, Doc? Amen. When you finally get the news that, okay, we can now start to make reality what we had envisioned all along and what we have drawn out on these blueprints. That's what Paul says in this passage of Scripture. He tells those Corinthians, and I say to you today, that your building permit has been issued. Except you're not just building a house or an office building or some type of other structure. You are actually part of the building process of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And your building permit has been issued. Notice what this text tells us as we look at this subject of buildings and, 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 and starting to build. Notice what it is that the Bible says. There are three things that I want to gather our thoughts around for a little while as we think about our building permit. And I think the first thing this text would affirm for us is this. It's found in verses 10 through 11. Is that God expects us to build on the foundation. Hear me. A lot of the yous in here are plural. But those plural yous are made up of individual yous. You see, there's no such thing as a group if we don't first have some individuals. So I want you to understand that this text is addressing the church, but it's also addressing each one of us personally. Notice what it is that this text has to say about God's expectations. And by the way, you know that God does have expectations of you. I mean, he has higher expectations than just to send his son to die on Calvary's cross for you and then call you to himself and raise you from spiritual deadness to spiritual life. He has more expectations than just bringing you home to glory and giving you a cabin on the backside of it one day. You know that, huh? Yeah. I mean, he expects us to be a part of the building process of his kingdom and his church. And a lot of times we find out that if, if folks aren't sure what the expectations are, someone has said, if you expect nothing of people, you'll get that. You'll get what you expect. So you know, we have expectations of our folk here at Grace. We do. I mean, we just expect our folk at Grace. If you're going to be a part of Grace, then we want you to be a part of Grace. We expect you to be a part of Grace. That means we expect you to show up. I mean, you just can't be a part of Grace and believe God's doing something in this fellowship and that He speaks to us through His Word by His Spirit when His people gather to worship and just not be here. So we expect our folk to show up. We expect our folk to be involved in the disciple-making process. I want to be a better disciple myself. I can't do that separated from the body. So I've got to be here and be a part of the disciple-making process, not only here but in my 
expectations of us. Notice what this text tells us are some of the expectations of God as he has issued officially your building permit. Notice number one, he says this in verse number 10, according to the grace of God which was given me. God expects us to build on the foundation because of the supply he gives us. Now stop and think with me. You can have a building permit issued, but you're not building a thing until that truck from Lowe's or Home Depot or the building supply store, whatever it is, pulls up and backs up in your yard making that beeping sound and unloads about $400,000 worth of 2x4s, huh? And that's just one load. If you don't have supplies, you're not going to build anything. Well, notice, I know that God expects us to build on the foundation because he gives us a supply. You know what the supply is? The supply is grace. Look what Paul said. According to what? According to the grace which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Hey, here's the reality. You don't have any contribution to make without grace. You don't. You see, grace is not something that just gives us a pardon and gives us a free pass on sin. God doesn't give us the punishment we deserve, but grace equips us and it qualifies us. It is by grace that God gives every member of his body a spiritual gift, and it's through that grace gift and that supply of God's grace that he expects us to build on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God expects us to build. You know how I know? Because the Bible says he gives us a supply. But notice something else. God also expects us to build because of the support he gives. Look, look, look what Paul says in these verses. He says in verse number 11, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Hey, that is your support. You know what the, you know what the support for this building is? It wouldn't stand if there weren't a solid foundation. And think about it now. He's saying that Jesus Christ is the support for whatever we build on this foundation. Now let me just explain to you how significant this foundation is of Jesus Christ. Uh, back in the days before I was a preacher, I was a fireman in Gulfport, Mississippi, and every third day I had to drive from way out the country downtown to the city limits to work at Central Fire Station in Gulfport, Mississippi. And for about 18 months, I would drive by this construction site, and one of my friends was the project manager out there on that construction site. And man, I, every time I go by, I just go up with this, because they had bulldozers and track hoes and all kind of stuff out there. You know, you just can't drive by a John Deere and not rubber neck, you know? So I would almost run over somebody every morning. I'd go by there. But here's what I finally realized. Now, after six months of driving by there, I'm going to think, now, they've been out there a long time, but I'm not seeing a thing. So I'm getting a child, an old buddy who was a foreman out there. I said, dude, what are y'all building? A hole in the ground? Yeah. I mean, how long can you just sit out there and move a pile of dirt from here to there? Here to there? I mean, y'all move that dirt around so much, it ain't going to sleep for the rest of eternity. I mean, let it lay down in the grass for a little while. And then, you know, you go by there, you six months down, and they still haven't had anything showing out there. And I'm thinking, now, you go know, lying. Y'all just building a big hole out there. That's all y'all building. And finally, my friend said, let me tell you something. He said, what we're building out here is so significant that it takes us a while to get this foundation right. We're putting pilots down in the ground. We're putting metal in the ground. We're putting concrete in the ground because what we're going to build won't, won't 
do this right. And I'm telling you, when they finally came up to ground level, it was a massive rock out there. I mean, it was some type of foundation, some type of support. Now, you know what it would have been funny? It would have been funny if it took them nearly 18 months to build a foundation that significant. And then for them just to go and put up a little portable she shell on top of it. That'd be hilarious, wouldn't it? I mean, Heather and I were coming down at ITM the other day, coming back home, and we passed this huge blow boy. Big old rack truck pulling it, and it had on the back, it had about four axles. It had wide load stickers all over. Of course, it was empty. But I'm telling you, this was a man of a truck. Uh, it was probably rated to haul probably about an 80,000-pound excavator or something like that. And of course, I'm, I, you know, I'm just having over driving examples today. You know that I was so proud of having driving. So I'm just staring at this truck going by, thinking, man, I wonder what they put on that big thing. You know, and I was just picturing all kinds. Then we got up right in the middle of the belly of that thing. The driver had a little bitty talking toy chained across the back of that. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, my goodness. But can I say to you, that's exactly what some of us do with the foundation which God has laid. Listen, Jesus Christ is a foundation that will not be moved. Right. He goes back all the way into infinity past. Yeah. He don't just go a couple hundred feet in the ground. So he goes all the way back to before there was a speck of space dust for a universe anywhere. He is eternal. He's a foundation that will support a superstructure of a kingdom and a people. And sometimes I feel like we're putting a puck in on And it's just as crazy as that truck I saw. Or just as crazy as my buddy would have built a she-shed on that huge foundation that took him 18 months to dig and get laid and go for Mississippi. Hey, God expects us to build something. And hey, He expects us to build something grand. So, notice what else this passage tells us. Number one, tells us God expects us to build on the foundation. Number two, it also tells us in verses 12 through 15, God inspects what's built on the foundation. I, I, had, a, I had a colleague tell me one time that people normally don't do what you expect. People do what you inspect. So here's the deal yet. How about I'm teaching over at that spot in Florida, and I tell my students of whatever section it is that we're having to be studying that time. Now, the part of the course requirements is if you write a 15-page research paper, and you've got to give me at least 12 sources in here, and you've got to cite so many articles and so many theological journals, and this thing has got to get make me to all these requirements. But you know what? I really don't have time to read them. So y'all just write this paper, but don't turn it in. Okay. How many folks you gonna think gonna write a 15-page paper? You're exactly right, not a woman. You see what I'm saying? I think my buddy was right. People don't do what you expect. They do what they know you're going to inspect. And this passage teaches us very plainly that God inspects what we build on this foundation that will support a superstructure. And notice what it tells us about that. First thing this passage teaches us is that every believer contributes to the church. Check out what Paul says. Now, if any man builds, you see that? And then in verse 13, again, he says, each man 
word. And then verse 15, if any man's word. Verse number 17, if any man's word. Do you see what he's done? He's including everybody. So God expects us to build. God expects what we build. And every believer contributes to this building program. Now, it's not a matter of if you contribute. It's only a matter of what you are contributing. Maybe we'll write that one down. Because you can be as nonchalant, as noncommittal, as non-involved as you want to in the life of the local church. If you're a believer, you are making a contribution. So it's not if you contribute, it's what you contribute. So I want you to check out what Paul says right here. What are the possibilities as it relates to our contribution to the building? Verse number 12, here's what Paul says. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Did you, did you see those building materials? So here's, here's what he's saying. You are going to contribute some of this, no matter how involved you are, if you are a believer. So, check out what he does. I, I've got to put this in two columns on your listening guide. And here are the columns. One of those has a valuable contribution that folk make to the building of the kingdom of God and to the building of his church. They're valuable. I mean, that's our goal. That's what we expect folk at Grace Church to do, to make a significant, eternal, valuable contribution to God's work on planet Earth. I want your life to count for something in eternity. That's our goal here at Grace Church. So check out the other column. The other column, I simply say, is flammable. One column is valuable. The other is flammable. Because here's what Paul says. Check out. Each man's work will become evident for the day will show it, verse 13, because it is to be revealed with fire. So notice what it is that Paul lists as the valuables. Number one, here's a valuable. He says, if any man builds with gold. Now, here's the first characteristic I want to give you about things that are valuable, that we build with. They're costly. If you're going to make an eternal contribution to God's kingdom and His church on planet Earth, you ain't going to be no cheapskate to do that. Everything that you do is going to cost you something. The only question is, are you willing to pay the price? You see, we're not talking about maybe financial contributions. Don't get me wrong. No, we're talking about what you can bring to the table with your life, and it's going to cost you something. Remember, David said, I will offer nothing to my God that costs me nothing. So number one, undervaluable is costly. Now, let's contrast that on the other side, the flammable objects. And notice how they are in this text. Wood, hay, and stubble. Here's what I noticed the characteristic about them to contrast with costly. They're worthless. Worthless. I mean, he's talking about stuff that's basically refuse. That doesn't have any value at all. And Paul says, you're going to contribute something. Which one is it? Now let's go back to the valuable column. You know what else I noticed about every all these three that Paul lists as examples of valuable things? Gold, silver, and precious stones. And by the way, precious stones here may not relate to what we think, but it could. The word could accomplish both. I mean, we think of precious stones. Girls, what do y'all think of? Diamonds. It's your 
ovviamente. Non viene. Her wedding man cost me several thousand. Mine cost about 50 bucks. <laughs> Says, 
pleasure. And we're going to be standing out there very publicly in front of the thrones of multitudes of the redeemed from every generation. And we're going to be put on public display as to the quality of our contribution to the church. Now hear me. Our United States culture, we are choking ourselves with this idea of privacy. Because we're an individualistic culture. And it's all about the individual. So nobody else's business what I do. That's foreign to the Bible. And so I can think about how we do it here in our country. Everything you have is protected by laws of privacy. Dr. John can't come in here and, and say, well, hey, so-and-so, how are you doing since publicly since I did a root canal on you Thursday? That's a violation of a HIPAA rule. You can't come to me and talk about a spiritual problem that you have and then I break that confidence. That's a violation of a law. Hey, up in the college, we the, the most heretical thing a professor can do is let another and let another student see another student's grades. <laughs> you can't even be the parent of a student who's paying the bill for those grades and see those grades. Everything is private. But can I say to you, don't get too comfortable in your privacy because on this day it's all going to be aired out. It's going to be public. Oh, public display. Because Paul says, individually, we're going to stand there before the judgment seat of Christ and your life's work is going to be subjected to the test of fire. And it's going to be very public. But notice what else Paul says. Not only does he say it's going to be revealed publicly, but he also says that it's going to be, uh, it will be rewarded permanently. Check this out. If, if, if you've built with good stuff, if you've invested your life in the right places, look at verse 14. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, then you know that word, permanent. It means if it's permanent, then look, if any man's work remains he will receive a reward. Get this. If your work is permanent, your reward will be permanent. And throughout all eternity, that reward is the basis of how you get to worship Christ. Then if you ever just thought things, God, thank you for allowing me to be a part of what you're doing and making an eternal difference on this planet. And whatever contribution you're making. Because that's the basis of your reward. What you do with your life has got to last. It's got to outlast life itself. It's got to withstand the test of fire. Now check out number next. Not only say it'll be revealed publicly, it'll be rewarded permanently, or it will be regrettably painful. There's only two options here. So check it out. Look what he says in verse 15. If any man's work is burned up, he will he will what? Y'all say it with me. Suffer a Brother Richie, there ain't no suffering in heaven. Did you see that word? If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Now look, we seize on the wrong part of this verse because this is this is the exception, not the rule. It is not normal for somebody who's been Born again by the grace of God, placed in fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit, 
whose sins are forgiven and whose future is heaven to do nothing with what God's given them. That's not indicative of somebody who's been born again at all. That's indicative of somebody who's selfish and still living for the flesh. Check out what Paul says. If any man's work is burdened up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. This is not the fire of hell. This is the revealing fire of God's judgment upon everything that you've done with your life. So here we are publicly. And then all we've contributed is wood, hay, and stubble. Here's going to be our epitaph through all eternity that you're going to have to deal with through all eternity.
not going to be good for you. So here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, what are you building with? You know what this is? What is that? That's a piece of granite. It really is. This could be part of the precious stone because this is building material that Paul's talking about. So here's what Paul could be saying. He's saying, every time you say, Lord, I really don't feel good today. It's really not about my feelings. It's about you. You're worthy of the pain. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what God's Word tells me that I should do today. And I'm going to be obedient. And I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to prioritize spiritual growth in my life. I'm going to prioritize my contribution to the church. You know what happens? In your eternal bucket goes a piece of solid, enduring building material. Well, wait a minute. God, you know, Grace Church has been talking a lot about missions and about sending, and I'm not a missional believer. I love that little test that Pastor gave several weeks ago. How missional am I? And I swore I need to repent. So God, I want to be more intentional about getting the gospel to those who haven't heard today. It's part of my responsibility to make an eternal contribution to the advancement of your kingdom here on earth. So God, I want to do that. I want to, I want to give them my resources, and I even want to go on a short-term mission trip. Maybe even God's calling me to be a cross-cultural missionary. You know what you're doing? You're building with stuff that, that has eternal value. Precious stones. Here's some marbles. You're filling your bucket up with enduring stuff. And then you say, God, but you know, I want to take another step. I want to get a little bit closer. I, I want to be involved with some things that Grace is doing. I, I think I'm going to go down and I'm going to represent Grace Church at this road here. And I'm going to work the concession stand. And I want to be able to interact with people and, and just be a good witness for you. You know what you're doing? Well, here's a piece of slate. You throw that in the boat. Every time you do something that's costly, enduring, and valuable, you're filling your bucket up with stuff that endures. But now wait a minute. There's another bucket. God, you know, I'll work seven days a week. I really don't have time to be involved in church. You know what that is? But God, wait a minute. I work six days a week. Sunday is my only family day. That's strong. You know what this is? Hey, this is pretty good stuff. It's testing out about 16% protein, but not less. That's <laughs> hey. But God, I, I just don't believe in missions. There's no sense in us sending all that. We've got enough needs right here in Bonifay. God, so I'm just going to sit out on this one. You know what this is? Ah, uh, say it again. What is it? That's fat life. Can y'all smell it? My goodness. Throw it in the bucket. But God, you know, I don't see the importance of me discipling anybody or being a part of grace group. I got too much other stuff to do. That's just getting in my way. A piece of rotten wood. Now, I got one more thing here.
Do y'all not know that y'all are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? The church is the body in which the Spirit of God lives, where God lives. We're not talking about beams and, and metal and, and sheep rock and mortar. We're talking about the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, you and me. He lives within us. I got news for you. We gather here on Sunday morning. It's not just a, a social club of folks who have the same ideas meeting together. According to God's word, when the church is together, God is there. For the body in which he lives. Now you understand why he's going to protect his body? Hey, do you protect your body? It's where he lives, is it not? You protect it, don't you? Yeah. Every time you get in your car, you buckle your seatbelt. Why? Because the law said no, because you're afraid you'll go through the windshield. If a dog runs out in front of you. And you want to protect yourself. Well, God protects his body as well. Number next. Why does God do that? Why does He deal harshly with people who beat up on the bride? Because it's the body in which He lives, and it's the bride that He loves. Ephesians chapter 5. Mark it down, look at it when you get home. Spoiler, I think Dr. John working up a message on that passage. You know, you can, you can get away with a lot. Preachers have alligator skin. God just gives it to them because they have to take so much. But he didn't give that to my sweet little wife. She'll cry in a minute. And there's still enough redneck in me that you make my wife cry with me. You cry. Oh, you with me? Well, she's my bride. And that's the one area where I draw the line in my life. And we don't mess with her. She's sacred to me. And it's the same way with the Lord and his bride. So here's the people that God destroys. Remember what I said, didn't have anything to know that. Number one, he destroys people who actively destroy the body. Actively. They've got an axe to grind, and they will, do, they will pull as many people into their poison as they can. They will make as many people bitter. They want to hurt the church, and they actively set out to destroy a local church. Some of you just cross swords with the God who lives in that body and the God who loves that bride. But the Bible says God will destroy those people. But get this. God's Word also gives us evidence that God will destroy those who passively destroy the church. Write this down. Proverbs chapter 18. If I'm not mistaken, it's verse 19. Don't hold me to it. I'll look it up as soon as I get done preaching. But here's what the proverb says. The proverb says, he who is slothful in his work is brother to him who is a great destroyer. You know what that tells me? That tells me you don't have to actively persecute the church and try to destroy her. You can just be nonchalant and say, ah, I got better things to do. It's not a priority for us. Any old excuse that folk have to keep them from participating in what God's doing, in things that are eternally significant. They put that down on the table like God's going to give them a pass. He's not. You're passively destroying the church. And the Bible's pretty clear. He who destroys the church, God will destroy that person. Hey, if you love yourself in Jesus' name, don't you 
light can't go in one direction when you step away. It's going to hit the tank pretty quick. And it might not be because of your own doing. It might be because God has got your hands behind a spiritual woodshed wearing you out for passively destroying his church. Look, church membership is a serious thing, guys. It really is. It ought to be our top priority. It ought to be our number one commitment. It ought to be our highest passion. It ought to be our greatest privilege. It ought to be our most exuberating pleasure. And if it's something other than that, man, it's time to say, God, what's wrong with me? Have I ever been born again? Am I filled with your spirit? Or am I crossing swords with someone with whom I don't want to cross swords? Hey, where are you today? What are you contributing? Where are you going to stand? You're going to stand in a bucket that won't burn? Are you going to stand in a bucket that lights a bonfire that would signal 747s to land around you? What's it going to be? Maybe today God's broken through and lets you see a serious of the 70 or 80 years that he might be you on this planet. In Jesus' name, don't be one of those poor pathetic souls that are going to be in heaven. And are going to be saved, yet so after fire. And their epitaph through laws and eternity is going to be saved, but I don't have a dang thing to show for them. What an embarrassment. Stand before the one who's worthy of all praise and honor and glory forever and ever. And be embarrassed. Let's give. We stand with the Father in heaven. Thank you.